happening now. We want to welcome our viewers from across the United States and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room. Good morning, good day, good evening. This is EdTech Situation Room, episode number 288. Wow. On April 5th, 2023. My name is Jason Neifer, and I am joining you tonight live from my parents' basement in North Central Montana, beautiful Great Falls, Montana, the jewel of the uh, North Central Rocky Mountains. And it's a real pleasure to join you from my birth city. Uh, here in Montana. And joining me tonight, as always, good evening, Dr. West Fryer. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, Jason. I am doing great. And uh, yeah, it's a sign of uh, hanging out with each other for a while when we got on. I said, hey, you're in your parents' basement, aren't you? So. <laughs> <laughs> I like to know that's a good meme for us to work on. So, absolutely, absolutely. Well, hey, I understand your Do- your Dogecoin investment uh, took a little jump this this week. Uh, it did. <laughs> um, you probably, for those of you that are on Twitter, have probably seen at least the web version of it. I don't know about the apps. Um, there have been little Doge Doge icons that have popped up uh, everywhere, and um, I know I, I I feel like. Um, Elon Musk, um, for those of you that um, uh, recognize uh, lines from Mean Girls, like stop trying to make Fetch happen. I feel like telling Elon Musk, must try to stop making Doge happen. Although since I own some Dogecoin that I bought um, as kind of a joke when it was super duper dirt cheap, um, maybe I should uh, allow him to do whatever he wants to do with that. But I don't think we're here to talk about Doge, uh, Doge, not Doge, but Doge. So I'm trying to make Doge happen, Jason. Um, uh, what is the tech situation room all about, Dr. Fryer? Well, we are going to talk about the news in the technology world, and we're going to try and analyze it through an educational lens. We've been doing this for quite a few years now. And so we have all of our links on our website, which is edtechsr.com slash links. And our topics tonight are the TikTok, the TikTok ban. No, wait, that was last week. Sorry. Uh, AI, uh, media literacy slash social media, the rabbit hole of AI. So wait a minute. So we have, we have two AIs. So there's a rabbit hole AI. Those must all be your links then. Okay. We've got folks, this literally could become, we talk AI. Because I think I put about eight or nine AI articles in, and Jason has put in uh, about 12 or 15. Yeah, I carried some more from last week and added a bunch more. So Okay, all right. And then we've got uh, Internet of Things and then our Geeks of the Week. So, yeah, it it really is. Do you want to rename the show the AI show? I mean, no, I know AI and Education Weekly. Yeah, I know. No kidding. Although I have to say, um, you know, I – I've actually had a couple of conversations in the last week with professional colleagues about whether maybe we're, we're taking this too seriously, but I, I don't think we are. I, um, and, and again, I'm not one to prone to say that this is going to change everything because I feel like even though a lot of things have been significantly changed with technological advances over the past 30 years, I think the only really close technology in regards to impact on education that I've seen is the internet itself, that this is as revolutionary as the internet. And in a lot of ways, um, I think uh, probably will exceed its impact because of how mediated it is and how dramatic it, I think, changes so many assumptions. Um, I want to start off with a quick thing um, that's somewhat related to this topic, but I don't have an article to go with it. But um, 
as we talked about uh, in the past, this spring is my um, five-year anniversary of receiving my doctoral degree, and my research was about intelligent personal assistance, and by that I mean Siri and um, uh, the, the Google products and Microsoft's Cortana, and one of the things that, that my research found was that it had relatively little impact on student engagement, which was what I was measuring. But, um, you know, it may have impact in other ways, but in what I was measuring in context of my study, it was about student engagement. And I had a control group and, and I had a group that, that had been given specific instruction on the power of um, Siri as, as a learning assistant. And one of the things that I um, did end up reading about when I was trying to find some context of my results was it was right about that time that a lot of people were expressing very strong disappointment in intelligent personal assistance, in particular Siri, because they felt like it just wasn't, um, I guess for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, 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 evolving fast enough to keep people's interest. And in fact, there were more people that would mock Siri and its lack of abilities than really use it as a really powerful tool for learning or engagement. And one of the things that, that I think we need to think about for a moment is all the excitement around intelligent personal assistance and the game-changing nature of uh, that technology that, that a lot of people were, were estimating at the time end up falling flat because the tools didn't evolve very quickly. And I think in a lot of ways, the artificial intelligence, the the language model style generative uh, artificial intelligence that is a big part, I think, of of the the conversation in the last couple of months with ChatGPT and its derivatives, that it really is going to deliver on that promise in a way that intelligent personal assistants couldn't, because it really can a uh, answer you know deeper questions that are not just things it can pull off the internet, but rather something it could generate answers to in a way. Uh, that a human might use its intelligence. So I, I thought about that the other day. And in fact, um, we'll start talking about that more directly. So I guess it comes down to, Wes, do we want to do AI first? Do we want to do media literacy first? Or do we want to cover our single article on Internet of Things? <laughs> we have 19 articles on AI for today. Um, I think we should... Do a, do a little of the others, and then then let's jump into AI. I will reveal, though, because I, I haven't shared this with you, um, I accepted an invitation to be an early tester of BARD in uh, Google, um, the Google suite for Gmail and for... Uh, oh, for the plugin? Calendar. Yeah, so I'm, I'm in oh, that group. Oh, that's awesome. And I have, and, and it's on my personal account, which I honestly don't, don't use as much as my school account, you know, day to day. Um, I'm in a little chat group with about uh, four others. <laughs> today, today people were comparing, and they were putting this into the chat, um, giving ChatGPT 3.5 uh, the challenge to um, have a sort of a rap smackdown between Steve Jobs and uh, Wozniak. And so there was a result for 3.5, then there was Bard's response, and then there was the ChatGPT 4 response. Very funny, yep. uh, and also pretty good. Um, but the point that I heard, and I, I know, I think we're going to talk about deep fork. What am I saying? Deep fork, hard fork. <laughs> the hard fork podcast with uh, Casey and uh, Kevin from the New York Times, Casey Newton and Kevin Roos. Um, they have talked about you know the power of these tools in in the tools that we use. Well, a lot of us just all the time, right? And so being able to use plain language 
uh, queries to um, do things with email, do things with calendar, uh, like you said, as, as a smart assistant. And I think we may talk about that Sundar Pichai interview that they did. I think they just released that on Friday on Hard Fork. And part of what Pachai said was this vision of the smart assistant creating essentially a chat GPT smart assistant customized for each person. Like that's a pretty staggering thing to think about that goes well beyond just, Hey, I can, you know, I can ask, I, I, I can ask this, this chat bot, um, you know, questions like I would a search engine and get facts. It, it's really different to think about leveraging this power, which we're only beginning to glimpse and experience today in our personal and private information, which of course, you know, we need to be trusting Google and whatever companies we're giving, uh, giving that access to. So is that okay? Do you want to do a couple more and then we'll jump, we'll jump into AI. Probably every article is going to link back to AI anyway. So, you know, it's kind of what it feels like right now. Isn't it? Okay. All right. Well, Hey, we've only got one IOT article. Why don't we start there? This is Ars Technica from April 4th. Open garage doors anywhere in the world by exploiting this smart device. Um, we do security articles from time to time, and this is uh, an example. Um, there's an $80 device uh, that will uh, open and close your garage door, control your home security, um, and it uses NEX, N-E-X-X servers. Um, however, it turns out it uses the, the, the same easy-to-find universal password uh, when it communicates, and therefore... Um, and then since it, it sends unencrypted email addresses, device IDs, first name, and last initial, uh, it turns out it's just super easy for hackers to be able to exploit this. And when you think about the importance of something that locks your house, like your garage door, this is absolutely terrible. So the article says you should immediately unplug all Next NEXX devices. And I think this points to the increasing role that digital technologies are having on our lives the Internet of Home, the, the IoT, the Internet of Things, you know, landscape is, is still a, a pretty geeky landscape. And, and folks that are more affluent, you know, are, are hiring uh, consultants to come in and, and design systems and, and be integrators, just like you'd have, you know, a super high end, you know, home, home uh, stereo and home audio system. But, you know, uh, having dabbled with this for quite a while and loving my smart speakers and my setup, um, I think this is a real cautionary tale of how we need to look at the security and and really make sure things are well vetted um, and then also follow up to make sure that the solution you've invested in is indeed secure. And when it comes to something like your home security, I really think sticking with, uh, you know, a, a, a Google or her, I'm not a big fan of, of Amazon and, and Madam A, but, you know, it's Whatever your platform is, make sure you research it well, you follow up on it. Um, this could even be something, I don't know if, that I've done this for a long time, but you can still set Google alerts for different news things. And so if you buy some weird brand garage door opener or some other kind of Internet of Things device, that might even be something you might set a Google alert for to make sure that, hey, if something hits Google News, uh, you could even do it for the brand name plus security, you know, you're going to be alerted to it. So. I'm assuming, Dr. Neifer, you have not invested heavily in the the next um, controlled versions of these home security devices. Yeah, that's correct. Um, I, I do have some off-brand stuff in my home, although to be frank, I'm, I'm probably going to uh, get rid of most of that, in part because 
we have moved um, away from the Amazon and Google ecosystems and are likely to stick in Apple. And the reason why is because it's a couple fold. First, I do feel like that when it does have an Apple stamp, it's more likely to be, be more security conscious than other brands uh, or I mean, the other uh, ecosystems for Internet of Things. But also the bottom line is, is that I think you need to be really careful before you put anything is a very well vetted internet of things items in, in, in your home because of the security flaws. Uh, as an example of that, um, I don't think we talked about this article um, or this, this topic, but last year, um, Wise, W-Y-Z-E, they're a company that's been around for three, four decades. Uh, they used to make uh, terminals in, in, in the 90s. The reason why I know that is because um, my summer job in college was working for an automotive warehouse that had a bunch of Wise terminals in it, and I was kind of the de facto computer guy um, uh, uh, for that warehouse, and I had to you know buy key, replacement keyboards occasionally for that, so I know the brand name pretty well. But um, they had an issue where... Um, they had a, a an exploit where you could download uh, uh, stills and videos from people's home cameras that had an SD card in it, and it was an unpatched uh, um, bug for I think like like two years before they they finally actually did something about it, and they'd actually posted that the exploit existed um, on their security page, and so. Um, you know that, and that, and what, and again, Wise is 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 not quite the 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 trusted name it used to be. But this still, isn't what this isn't W Y Z, is it? Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Here wow. I put the article in here, and um, and I had this very camera in my home. Um, here I'll because I've 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 thought that Wise was pretty good and have considered purchasing one of their cameras. Actually, I've I've just done their lighting so far, their track lighting. Yeah, so uh, they they had a, a, a flaw in their camera system that allowed you to access saved videos and um, um, and and stills. And the reason why that that's interesting to me is that that I mean that again that's a, a, a known brand, right? And at the same time, you know, a lot of the stuff that you can go buy off of Amazon right now. Um, is using firmware that's not updated and is otherwise just not a, a very secure system um, to work with. And that's something that I just don't think the average user is considering when they buy these kind of nifty um, uh, gadgets for their home. So I, I feel like at some point that there's going to have to be a reckoning, I guess, for lack of a better term for this, because it just doesn't feel like that um, – uh, that it's it it's it's been exploited to a point to where it's going to create enough drama to to draw attention to it, but I think that's something that we need to be you know hyper cognizant of. I found an article on Bitdefender.com vulnerabilities identified in Wise Cam IoT device, and it was from March 2022. So yeah, that uh, and I think we've talked about this on the show as well that. You know, one of the, the problems with some of these things, uh, not only is that companies don't necessarily have the same kind of commitment to patching and security that you'd get from a Google or, or an Apple or an Amazon, certainly Apple, um, but also the fact that some of this is firmware, uh, which is baked into the device to a greater degree and can't necessarily just be updated over the air. And so, um, you know, we've seen that with with Wi-Fi routers, uh, you know, that, that, that can be exploited. And yes, you can flash the, the firmware, but that is a fairly technical thing that not every consumer is ready to do. So 
Anyway, I didn't want to spend too much too much time on it, but I'm certainly glad to see that article and that information as, as far as Wise. And uh, there's some folks that had worked with Amazon that had started Wise, and they've got Chinese manufacturing. And I've, uh, yeah, I had really considered, you know, going with some of their products. Um, and this may may give me some pause for that. So that's helpful. Okay, so I think we had discussed maybe doing a little social media, and then we'll jump into the eye rabbit hole. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, um, I don't think we talked about the TikTok hearing at all. Did we last week? I don't know that we did, but that is definitely a great topic. Well, well just... uh, maybe we did a little bit, but I think we did an article where you know they didn't really do the the CEO didn't necessarily do uh, himself a ton of favors, and it was kind of almost an impossible. I don't know. Yeah, let's we'll, we'll talk about yeah. it a little bit more. Well, I will say that in in the last week, there's been a lot of uh, other media uh, kind of covering this, and it's really interesting to find to see how creators are covering it on TikTok because there has been a variety of kind of TikTok style memes that have, that have been uh, derived from from those hearings. I would say that in general, there was a lot of mocking of some of the center's questions. Like, for example, does a TikTok access your Wi-Fi network when you're at home? And of course, the answer is, is yes, that it does indeed access your Wi-Fi network. I think he might have been trying to ask a more nuanced question. But I think if those hearings uh, have proven anything, it's that one of the reasons why it appears very difficult to regulate or to get Congress to regulate uh, 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 Internet uh, data privacy, Internet tools, Internet apps, hardware, software, uh, right to repair any of these pieces, because it seems like a lot of our senators representatives seem woefully out of touch w- with technology. And, you know, I, I think that's an important thing to remember and also one of the reasons why we tend to rely on experts from the executive branch in the various executive departments to do some of this work and it's, and it's because you know frankly they hire industry experts they hire uh, 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 members of academia they, they tend to hire people with skills and knowledge to make some of these pieces of, of regulation and I think that's something that we need to be very cognizant about is that if we continue to rely on a lack of expertise or maybe uh, viewpoints that are short of of the expertise we need to make meaningful regulations, we're going to continue to have questions like, does TikTok access your Wi-Fi network when you're at home? And, um, you know, the other thing I'll also say before uh, we we get on some more of the specific headlines, um, I heard this line several times, both by kind of, uh, you know, late night host comedian style uh, coverage of this and also a lot of creators, too, that that I think, you know, are, are a little scared about losing the platform of TikTok. But for me, I think one of the things that that I'm very concerned about is that a lot of the things that were asked about at those hearings were things that really applied to every single social media tool that exists in the United States, whether, um, uh, you know, they are uh, uh, accessed by teens or not or owned by, you know, uh, uh, Chinese companies or not. And what I think a lot of the the kind of FUD, fear, uncertainty and doubt that was being kicked up about TikTok really should be kicked up about almost every tool that's being used uh, in mass by members of the United States public and also the world. And so um, I just hope we, we are able to have more nuanced conversations, because if we ban TikTok entirely or we force it to, to, to be sold to the United States company, which would be relatively unprecedented, um, 
that's well and good, but it doesn't answer the larger questions about the challenges of social media, the challenges of data privacy, the challenges of, of what these, these uh, technologies uh, do or don't do um, as, as, as part of the process. So I just thought I would make that, that comment to start. Yeah, there's a lot of grandstanding that always happens whenever we have any kind of technology hearings. <clears throat> and it almost seems like that's the main purpose is to, is to try to, you know, give some people an opportunity to get on the news by trying to make some kind of a statement and obviously a lot of times these uh, older adults are not saying things that are entirely in, uh, on point when it comes to the technologies. But um, I think that, I mean, there's definitely going to be some um, challenges to that. If we get a, a, a TikTok ban, the Washington post article that you've got in there, I'm trying to get the gift link actually, and I'm not having it work, but um, it was the March 25th article, Hollywood music industry brace for a TikTok ban. 32 of 50 U.S. states already have some kind of TikTok ban on state networks, on state -owned, government, state-owned devices. Um, the U.S. military uh, has has had uh, some bans on TikTok uh, previously. But if we would have something that would nationwide block something, I think that's going to set a very, very – I think that's probably going to be struck down. I'm not a lawyer, but I think that's probably going to be struck down, and I think it's going to – set a really difficult precedent because as companies seek to work, use the global internet, you know, already with GDPR and other kinds of laws, there, it's a very, very challenging landscape. But I, I mean, to your point, Jason, yes, we should be concerned. We shouldn't just be wanting our, our representatives and senators to grandstand about China. I mean, we've had such a history of anti-Chinese legislation, you know, in, in the United States throughout time. And I do think that China poses a formidable military threat. And I am genuinely concerned about, about the outbreak of warfare over Taiwan. I, I, I don't know, this, we don't even have this in here, but I don't know if, if you saw what Xi, President Xi said um, to the Communist Party and just publicly about to his generals about preparing for war. And I don't think they're really grandstanding that. I think that you know, there's a consistent message that China said that Taiwan is ours and, and we need to take it. And so I'm not trying to belittle the threat that is posed militarily and, and otherwise by China. But I do think that it would be in our interest as a country supporting human rights and, and supporting representative democracy to have a global Internet. I think that we need to, to be supportive of privacy law. And again, when we get to that Sundar Pichai interview on Hard Fork, he talked about that, that we need to be thoughtful. We don't want to be rash, but we need to get some regulation right. And the underlying, like the, there was this discussion this last week uh, with, you know, Musk and Wozniak and, and like uh, over a hundred other, you know, pretty, uh, pretty knowledgeable AI researchers and others and academics saying pause for six months in your development of it. But what Bachai said was, wait a minute, how does that really get to the issue? Uh, some of these underlying issues are about privacy, and they're also about the impact that they can have on society. And, and I don't see the conversations in, in Congress really getting at those root issues uh, because we need some privacy law in the United States, right? We need to have some, some consumer protection. And I think as consumers, we need to have a right to our data and to try and, and penetrate this opaque cloud of, uh, of data that, as we talked about a couple shows ago, we talked about mental health data, you know, being for sale. It's all for sale, folks. There's really nothing protecting you and my rights in the United States when it comes to our data privacy. So, unfortunately, I don't see that kind of an emphasis. And, you know, we'll see. But it would be 
I think it would be quite unfortunate if the first actual legislation we have that would fit under the banner of the tech correction, you know, is a TikTok ban because that's, it is going to probably make a lot of young people upset, which, you know, and, and, and maybe I, I tend to think it is a big deal for, for someone to have control over the, the information screens of a majority of, you know, Generation Z uh, citizens in the United States. And yep. anyway, it, there, there, there are real issues here. I don't, I don't think it's just all grandstanding. But. No, no. Well, and the other thing to, to, to be, you know, critical about too is that I mean I, I don't know I don't know how much time you spend on TikTok Wes I I've scaled back a little bit um, in the last couple of months and and part of it is that um, you know I want to be cautious to to be mindful of Montana's uh, ban for this uh, uh, on on um, state time and on state devices so that's that's part of it um, I also think that. You know, my, my TikTok account's pretty darn bland. I haven't posted anything and I mostly just follow cooking videos and, um, the, um, um, a little bit of political stuff. And then, um, I have some interesting areas of TikTok I've ended up in. I actually have been seeing less teacher content lately. I think part of that maybe just because I'm not engaging with it as much. But the bottom line is that, you know, ByteDance, the owner of TikTok, claims it's an AI company and not a social media company. And that, you know, we knew we were going to rabbit hole down AI at one point or another. But the thing that's interesting about that is that if, if that's true, then really what we're doing is training AI when we're engaging in it and not just connecting with one another. And I think that is also something we need to be thoughtful and concerned about. But that's also true of basically every other uh, social media platform. So, um, you know, we've been training the machine and on Facebook for, for, you know, nearly 20 years now. So let's, uh, let's not forget that. So let's uh, hit a couple more articles, uh, quickly under media literacy and social media, and then we can jump, jump fully into the AI uh, rabbit hole. Uh, last week, I think we talked about the fake photos that were, um, uh, for Donald Trump, you know, fighting police and arrested. Of course he was, arrested or, you know, indicted, I guess, this, this last week. Um, but uh, the article this last week from The Verge on March 27th was about the swagged out Pope being an AI fake. And I actually talked to my students about this. Um, we've talked about Photoshop and you can't believe everything you see. Um, but this is a, a pretty good article about why this, um, you know, went viral. Um, but it definitely shows the potential. And this is interesting. And I think I put this in under AI. So, yeah, there you go. Everything links to AI. Midjourney is no longer uh, allowing free accounts. Um, it killed the um, the free uh, yeah the, the the free trials. So this is from Decrypt, which I actually haven't fully researched this source. <clears throat> on March 30th, um, Midjourney kills free AI image generator after explosion of deep fakes. So we've got a number of folks that are creating images that are not uh, you know real and uh that that's causing some uh some trouble um i guess this time we're already it all goes back to ai uh the article above that about mid-journey i'll mention here it, and that is that mid-journey has blocked images of the chinese president president xi so you can choose other world leaders you can choose uh celebrities but president xi is going to be off limits which has sparked an ethics debate and which i think again is it's fascinating from an international standpoint, how many world leaders or celebrities are you going to, you know, create an exception for? No. Um, this one today was pretty, pretty ridiculous. And I mean, I've, I've decided to keep using Twitter. I'm really 
disgusted with Elon Musk on so many levels. And, and here's another sort of, um, you know, uh, I don't even know what, what's the metaphor when it's you're, you're it, 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 it's something else that further, you know, makes the case of, of why you're upset. Uh, Ars Technica, April 5th, Musk extends feud with media by labeling NPR Twitter accounts state affiliated. So if you don't know, Russia today is a mouthpiece for Vladimir Putin and for the Russian state. Um, it is not independent media and um, it's propaganda. There's a whole lot of stuff that they have, but there's, there's, it, it is accepted if you are in media literacy circles to be propaganda. Uh, National Public Radio is not. And the policy that, that Twitter previously had specifically highlighted independent journalism like NPR um, as an example of not being state affiliated. And this is Musk's vendetta, um, just like he took away the check mark from the New York Times. Um, uh, you know, this, this is uh, this is pettiness. And it's just, you know, it's unfortunate for someone. I mean, I, I was going to say ignorant. It's just, I don't know. I don't even know if I have all the right words for this, but it is, it's ridiculous. Okay. NPR is not Russia today. And to label it the same on social media is a lie. And that is being perpetrated by the majority stakeholder of Twitter, whose name is Elon Musk. And I think that's a tragedy. And it's anyway, I don't know that I'm going to be talking to my kids about this, but goodness gracious, we need to have a greater awareness of sources today than ever before and checking out sources. And when you have, a major platform like Twitter lying about the nature of a source. It's just more of a fractured, polluted morass uh, that we live in uh, as far as information. I'll, I'll stop trying to rattle off things and give you a chance to talk. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, and I saw, I, I saw several, um, uh, several uh, c- conversations about that. Many of them from current and former NPR journalists and, you know, the, the point that, that, that I saw some debate about today was that some of, of uh, the money for um, uh, NPR comes from the United States government. There's 1%, a, I think. Yeah, budget, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a very small part of it. Um, actually, the largest percentage of money that comes to NPR actually comes from um, locally supported NPR stations that may get some public funding from state and local sources. But, um, you know, the other thing, too, is that it's under it, it does have some underwriting from large corporate sponsors. And then it also gets a large percentage of money from people that donate to a local station and then buy programming from NPR. And the thing that's interesting about that to me is that I'm honestly not quite sure, especially in a freer, I'm not going to say free press because the press freedom has taken a real beating in the United States over the last five years, uh, maybe going back 10 years, actually. Uh, if you look at world press freedom indexes, the United States has been taking a real beating uh, uh, there in, in its shoddy treating, treatment of journalists. But I would also argue, too, that it's, um, um, I, 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 you could argue that that small percentage of funding the NPR uh, gets from the government biases it. But explain to me how that's different than corporate sponsorship of uh, private media, right? I mean that there has been plenty of evidence that that um, you know the ability of a channel to get 
um, whether it's a it's a newspaper or uh, broadcast journalism and, and TV or radio or even internet based journalism isn't impacted by its advertisers. And you know, I I just think it it that even if it was a hundred percent government funded or significantly government funded or people felt legitimately that uh, the small percentage of public funding it gets does bias it. I just feel like it's that that's just such an incomplete statement because it doesn't take into account the broader architecture of journalism, especially in, in, in 2023. Any other media literacy, social media articles you want to do? Did you want to do that Facebook one about the $12? I did. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to, um, uh, uh, mention that, uh, there is something going on at Meta right now that they're testing um, in, in, I think it's in New Zealand and Australia um, for a monthly service. It's called Meta Verified. Uh, it's twelve dollars a month um, uh, if you buy it via the web, fifteen dollars a month if you buy it via iOS or Android, and um, um, the uh, I guess it kind of works like being verified. Um, on Twitter in that it gets you a check mark, which again, uh, uh, I think is of, of relatively dubious value, but not unlike Elon Musk's push, um, to, um, uh, to, to prioritize paying users, it's also going to, you know, benefit you in the algorithm and the feed that, that, that appears in others. And part of what the other controversial things that Mr. Musk has been doing lately is that, you know, they kind of have that for you column that's popped up on Twitter that's very uh, TikTok like. And if you're not verified, in other words, if you're not paying, you will not appear in the for you column um, in, in, in Elon Musk's vision of Twitter. And I just, I think it's really funny because you may remember that at one point, um, uh, you know, there, it was kind of a meme. There was uh, viral things being shared around that Facebook is going to start charging you $10 a month for access and, and $20 a month for access. And would you pay that? And, and yada, yada, yada. And in a lot of cases, the answer was absolutely you know, not. No one would do that. But the thing I have to wonder is that the reason why they haven't had to charge to this point is because monetizing your data was more than enough money. Advertising was more than enough money to cover um, the cost of these services. But if that's no longer the case, um, you know, I if I paid $15 a month, I would want my data to not be used at all. And it just doesn't seem like that's the trade-off here. Like they want you to pay $15 a month for a check mark and then, you know, accessing more, more, uh, more people via, you know, the algorithm, but they're also still trading your data. And they said this is to try to, uh, tar- you know, provide services for influencers. And you have, I think, supposed to be better support access to maybe real people that would help you or they'll actually take action if your account has been hacked. I don't have the article for where I read this, but this is a lot like a, um, you know, a mafia protection scheme. So yep. I understand you, you're using Facebook. Uh, you want some help uh, getting your Facebook uh, hacked account fixed? Well, yep. you're going to have to give us give us $15 a month, and then yep. I think we're going to do that. It'd be a crying shame. If uh, you never got seen by anyone because you didn't give us 15 bucks a month is what. That's exactly right. Yeah. 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 And you wonder if there's any regulatory, you know, recourse. I mean, what? Yeah. Well, and and it's following Elon, right? Elon is doing that for the check mark. And I think it's, it's just, you know, Zuckerberg saying, oh, well, Elon's going to 
get my get get people to pay for a check mark and maybe we can do that too yeah and just to be clear um you know i pay for services right there's several services that i pay money for um each month because it's a value to me the ten dollars i spend on canva pro every month is probably the best ten dollars i spend um actually the, the best money i spend every month is on coffee but the second uh best money i spend every month i think is on canva the pro version is the free version's amazing the pro version's that much better but also i feel like i get my value back in that tool hey if you happen to be one of our two live viewers right now let us know who you are by uh Putting a little hello in, in the chat room. We're glad that you're with us and would be happy to answer any questions uh, that you might have, but we're just, we're glad, we're glad that you're here. So anything else before the AI? We, we did start late and I will take full blame for that, folks. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, it was just all my fault, but we are a little bit more than halfway through. So anything else under the social media, media literacy that you'd like to, to, to do before we, just plunge in, jump off the 10 meter board into the AI? No, let's, let's do a little AI. Okay, great. Where would you like to start? Well, why don't you go ahead and talk about the Hard Fork podcast from the New York Times? Oh, this is wonderful. So, um, I don't know, in the last month, maybe the last three weeks, I have become a regular listener of Hard Fork. And um, Casey Newton and Kevin Ruse both write wonderful um, articles, Casey for the platformer and uh, Kevin for the New York Times. This is their combined effort, and this was their episode from March 31st, and the headline is Google CEO Sundar Pichai on Bard AI Whiplash and Competing with ChatGPT. And, and listening to this, Jason, it made me want to go with you to Google, to Google I.O. someday to, to hear him because, you know, and we've said this before, lots of people will hype technology Jason and I have probably been guilty of it at some point, just, you know, naively, oh, it's going to change everything. Um, and actually, I do think that Web 2.0 has changed everything. The Rewrite Web has been a tremendous impact in terms of, of society and just, you know, social media and things. But to hear Pachai describe what it is like as CEO to navigate as uh, as Kevin and, Kate, and Casey ask him this tension between you know, shareholders and folks that want Google to, you know, move fast and break things, get stuff out the door, uh, leverage their competitive advantage that they've had with Lambda and the other, you know, AI initiatives that they've done, but then also be responsible um, and wary because a lot of folks, as they point out, say it's not a 0% chance that artificial intelligence is going to pose some serious, if not existential threats to humanity and and people are really going to get hurt but to hear pachai one of the things that stood out from this and a lot of things did but to hear him talk about how he truly believes this is the most powerful technology that human beings have ever had before and that it is going to change everything um i believe him i think that he is telling the truth. I think he is in a position to tell the truth. Does he have a motivation to say this? Well, you could argue that, but I, at this point, really, there's a lot of folks I hear talking about AI and I watched, you know, a lot of the Bill Gates interview from a week or so ago, but when Pachai said that, I just, you know, okay, I, I, I think we're really onto something here. This is, this is a game changer. So what stood out for you? Cause I think you, did you listen to that? Uh, last week or in the last couple days? Yeah, as a matter of fact, in fact, I've been listening to this this uh, for the last several weeks as well. What I would say is that I do feel like um, 
Google's taken on the chin a lot the last couple of months because they seem to be behind on this. And I think we've even quoted some of the articles to talk about how there was a, a red alert at Google about, you know, we need to step up and be, be competitive in the space again. My guess is, and I feel like this was loaded throughout the comments, is that there's actually a lot of activity and there has been a lot of activity at Google around AI, but they they feel a little more obligation to be thoughtful in its implementation. And that to say, um, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that I, I, I do feel that I have um, um, uh, kind of picked up, I've listened to probably a dozen Sam Altman interviews in, in the last uh, three or four months. He's a very thoughtful guy too. And I don't, I, I, and, and knows that, that this is heading somewhere big. Um, and, um, and that it has a chance of getting away from us if we're not extremely careful, right? So I, I, I certainly don't want to make it seem like that Google is being thoughtful and no one else is. But I do feel like there's a lot of, of, of energy around trying to do this as safely as possible. And I think Google has a lot to lose here, too, because if they I'm, I'm curious, Wes, to find out what your reviews look like once you start really using um, BARD in context of the uh, tools. I also uh, I am I'm in the BARD beta um, now and um, um, and it's just the, it's just the web version. It's not plugged into anything, but I am both delighted and slightly terrified of what happens when I give, you know, large language model uh, um, advanced AI access to all my data. It may uncover things I'm uncomfortable with. It may it may uh, um, highlight things I'm doing very wrong in a way that maybe is uncomfortable or maybe gives me superpowers. I don't really know yet, but um, I, 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 I was given a lot of hope by, by that, that particular uh, podcast. And I think Sunar Pichai is a, a very thoughtful leader, always has been. I like listening to him. And, um, you know, Google certainly has made its share of mistakes, but I also feel like it's a relatively well-led company. Absolutely. Well, let's hit a couple other articles that kind of tie into some of these themes. Uh, BBC News on April 1st um, announced that ChatGPT has been banned in Italy over privacy concerns. Um, and something else, something I'll comment on this. And I've, and I've been thinking about it. Um, you know, our daughter received her, our youngest daughter received her appointment to the Air Force Academy from uh, one of our state senators. And um Anyway, I, we haven't we haven't had connection to representatives or senators here in North Carolina. But, Jason, it occurs to me that as two educators who are fairly well informed in terms of following news about AI and about social media and about both the positives and the negatives of this. Uh, and, and you are connected politically much more th than I am. And, and you're connected politically on behalf of your organization. So maybe this might be things that will come later after you're not professionally representing an organization and you're an independent citizen. But listeners, people who are, are following this and tracking this, I think we have responsibilities to contact our elected officials and attempt to have some some conversations about these issues. Uh, because we do need, uh, I believe, some privacy regulation in the United States. We need some privacy protections. And I, all of these people, Sam Altman, uh, Sundar Pichai, Bill Gates, these are smart folks. Now, maybe not Elon, but these other people are recognizing the importance of regulation. 
And well, probably it is Elon because he was a co-signatory with Waz to that whole thing saying slow down, right? Just to, to try to get companies to slow down their, their public implementation of AI. So, I mean, how is public policy crafted and, and how do elected representatives, which even though we sort of put them on a pedestal, I mean, you know, they, they are human beings like you and I. Uh, I think yep. that there is an important role for us to try and uh, communicate and engage. And that might be with, with staffers in the office, but, you know, d- different representatives and, and senators are all different. Uh, but sometimes, you know, people I know from, from my dad with, with veterans affairs and some of the things that he's done around, you know, veteran things that, you know, he's, he's friends with, with some of our, um, you know, representatives and senators, particularly, uh, one of, one of our senators, Jerry Moran, when we had a, we went on an honor flight together to DC and, you know, anyway, met with him and personal relationships do happen with elected officials. And I think that the importance of, 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 of having an informed perspective and, and taking advocacy beyond, you know, sort of wringing our hands as we make a podcast or listen to a podcast. Like we, we need to identify what are those groups that are, that are advocacy groups. They may be nonprofit, they may be uh, political action committees, but I think we want to band together and try and advocate for constructive regulation in this space. Because as we are listening to these folks talk, and, and Pachai's interview is another case in point, nobody is saying, do not regulate anything. Everything is fine. It's all going to be smooth sailing. Quite to the contrary, everyone is saying, we need to really be careful because this is a powerful technology. And, and in the case of Pachai and some others, unlike anything we've ever seen before. And, and I, I never got goosebumps on my arm standing up when I did a Google search, certainly not a Bing search, uh, but I uh, have had that happen more than one time using ChatGPT. So, yeah, well, and, you know, that's the difference between accessing information and having it generate information for you. Right. Because of just the stunning difference between the two. And, you know, the the a couple of months ago when I was really starting to dive deeply into this, I mean, I, you know, these examples are silly, but they're they're really illustrative. Um, I took a part of a Seinfeld script, so a, a, a the actual television script, and I had it rewrite it as a short story, um, but with very, and I can't remember what, what, what language I used, but with very dramatic language. And it wrote a beautiful introduction that um, uh, kind of highlighted, um, you know, how well I could write based on, on source material. And, um, you know, that, that's a different thing than stumbling across another person's work on the internet, right? It's just, a, it's just a very different process. And it puts an awful lot of creative power in your hands. Does it call into question all sorts of other, uh, uh, processes, right? The future of work, the future of creativity, the future of writing, the future of art, the future of, of, of editing, reading, all those are, are called into account. But let's not diminish the extraordinary power of this. So. Absolutely. I'm just realizing that I did not, I did not uh, share um, one of these articles on Macedon or Twitter, um, but there was a article, um, and I'm going I'm to try to find this in my, in my Flipboard magazine, um, where some, I think there were Samsung employees talking about privacy, shared some um, confidential information 
And those things are now, um, you know, out part of the, the training model that, that, um, that uh, ChatGPT and OpenAI have. I'll try to find that article. Um, I did just find this one. This is Ars Technica from today. OpenAI has faced now or has been uh, threatened with a landmark defamation suit um, over false claims by ChatGPT. So there is a mayor um, in Australia, I think. And he, yes, Australian regional mayor Brian Hood um, was falsely uh, accused or attributed to um, having served some jail time. And so uh, he has given uh, OpenAI um, 28 days or something like that. Yeah, 28 days to modify ChatGPT's responses and stop it from spouting disinformation. Otherwise, he's suing. Um, so, you know, we've talked about this before. Um, it's not a search engine yet. We're all trying to use it as a search engine and, uh, legal challenges are going to be a part of this landscape. So how is this going to turn out? I don't know, but I'm sure this is not the last case we're going to see where people are going to be mad. I mean, Jason and I have searched, searched ourselves on ChatGPT and gotten different results. You know, I'm not mad that it thought I went to the, you know, the University of Nebraska at Kearney and what did it, it gave you a statistics PhD, I think at one point from yeah, Montana. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. I can't even spell statistics for the record, but the, the other piece that I think is really compl- complex about this too, is that, um, you know, related to that, I, and I, I do the searching for myself demonstration all the time when I'm working with teachers. And by the way, I, I, I've got a lot of, a lot of gigs coming up, uh, where I'm going to be brought into a district and be working with uh, a group of administrators one day. And then the next week working with teachers in the same district. Um, I'm doing a couple webinars in the next month. Uh, one of which I'll, I'll mention as my geek of the week tonight. Um, and, um, I, I, the, the thing that I keep thinking about is that I, I do think that unless, um, 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 unless we do something, uh, well, uh, unless we do something about it, people are going to treat this like a search engine. And the way I know it's not the case is because, you know, I can ask who Jason Neifer is and it doesn't know. Right. It says, nope, not famous, which, you know, uh, sure. Ego bruising. Um, but more importantly, if I say, OK, what, you, what, what happens if you know he's from Montana? Is it, oh, OK, well, Jason Neifer in Montana. And then it spouts off some generic information that's kind of right about, about me being in the education field. And it's just not a search engine. I do think that Bing is closer because they plug ChatGPT into a search engine, right? So it can help provide you sources so that you can vet the information yourself. I'm just not entirely sure we can rely on our students to do that without us mentoring them to do so, right? Like the the number of kids that print off the first three links, uh, printing like it's night, like it's at 2004, you know, or reading the first three links, right, and then and then drawing conclusions from that when you know a good search strategy oftentimes gets you to the second or third page or has you narrow down your search terms quite a bit. That's a really important piece of this. That I think is important. I found the article. This is uh, this one's from Tom's Hardware. Samsung fab workers leak confidential data while using ChatGPT, and this was from April the third. So I guess in the chip industry, uh, semiconductor industry, you know, there's a lot of trade secrets. Um, there's a lot of confidential stuff, and so uh, some of the sim- Samsung semiconductor employees um, created data leaks by using by submitting source code for a proprietary program for ChatGPT to fix the errors. 
And so that ended up disclosing the code of a top secret application. Uh, and then that uh, code, you know, became part of OpenAI and ChatGPT's uh, repository. I think this is actually really interesting, right? As we use these tools, and, and in general, companies have been able to change their terms of service however they wanted. And what was iTunes at one point, like 46 pages, it probably, you know, yeah. is, it has probably hasn't reduced in length very much. And so they would, you know, change it at any time and you had to, you know, click yes in order to use their service. But, you know, should you have to give all of your data to a company um, to be used as training data if you're going to use their service? Well, this suggests that that has happened with Samsung. But I think that's going to be yet another important question to be resolved. And maybe that'll be something that, that courts will weigh in on. I don't know. Yeah, great question. What else in the AI uh, litany of now 20 plus links? Well, uh, let's see. Um, let's talk about that New York Times article about what makes a chat GPT go wrong. And um it talks about hallucinations. I have seen a several several uh, references in the last couple of days about how we need to stop calling them hallucinations um, because that's giving it uh, maybe a little too much credit. Or I'm sorry, not enough credit for just making things up, right? Like it's taking the bold step of making up answers. Um, but one of the things that um, uh, uh, this article goes into some detail about is asking when it gets it wrong, why is it getting it wrong? And um, the, uh, the reason why is because it's been trained, um, on, uh, on the internet, right? And there's just plenty of crap on the internet. And it's, 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 it's such an interesting, uh, uh, question to ask because if it was trained on a broader language model, and that's what's basing it off of, it's taking the large ask of the content and media that we've created and turning it into answers to questions. And we are constantly telling students, right, that are, in, that when we engage in good media literacy training and good media literacy lessons, that you just can't believe everything you, you find on the internet right like being on the internet alone is not a factual piece uh, enough to where you shouldn't vet it through other information and that's what's scary about not helping students understand these tools because if we you know allow students to relegate um, their writing and researching tasks to a, a generative ai bot like chat gpt or google bard or any of the other many uh, tools that are now available it's essentially doubling down on the sins that a lot of us are very concerned about in regards to the internet. And um, again, I think it's just another good example where we have to be really careful before, or, you know, how we advertise these tools and what we're, uh, what we're telling students and, and how we're engaging in some of these processes. And so, um, yeah, I thought that article was a pretty interesting read and, you know, you've, I'm sure all heard the term garbage in garbage out. It, it helps describe when, um, you know, when data processing goes wrong, well, remember, uh, these tools have taken up billions, maybe trillions of uh, 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 cues from us. Um, and that's a problem because we generate crap all the time. One of the things that Pachai said, and, and which I really resonated with in that interview, which this ties to, is that one of the best ways to use ChatGPT or BARD today is to ask it things about topics that you really know a lot about because you can fact check those based upon your own experiences and knowledge base. And one of the things that I have found that's pretty, you know, impressive and even goosebump raising is, is how good it is um, in, in some of those cases. But Jason, I think it's interesting when we talk about, you know, being careful what we're going to share with students. I think, 
I'm sorry, this is pessimistic, but irrespective of what we do or don't do in school today, I think that society is just going to want to use these tools as a search engine and as a as an everything omnibar, basically. Uh, that's I don't I remember who it was Casey. I think it was Casey that asked Sundar Pichai, hey, is this the future where suddenly the Google omnibar search bar is just the, the everything for Google Assistant, for my email, for my calendar, for, for everything? And he said, well, there's a lot of capability there. He didn't say that that is the, the vision. But, you know, we um, – another good point that Pichai made was, hey, let's just stop debating whether this is artificial general intelligence or not. It is absolutely going to be very soon having tremendous power to do things that are harmful. And disinformation and misinformation is one of those things. And so whether or not you agree on a definition of AGI, um, you know, it's, it's capability to generate uh, malinformation even uh, at scale, you know, is we have a problem with it now. It's, it's just going to, to get worse. But now all of that saying, I totally think we need to, you know, do as much media literacy as we can and, and encourage, you know, good appropriate uses of this. And to your point, Jason, yes, we know I'm, I'm teaching about Wikipedia and encouraging my kids to use it as a launch pad for their research, right? We will never say as an academic, I've never heard anyone say this, use one source, don't cross check this. All no. you need is one. We've, you know, said no one, no educator ever said that. And so when it comes to ChatGPT, just like with web searches, just like with Wikipedia, we're going to encourage students to, you know, vet their sources. But uh, at this point, we don't have a lot of source citation with these AI tools. And so it's weird because, you know, it's it's almost like we take a step backward. I mean, at least if you're if you're web searching, then you can that's a link and you can see where that article came from and what was that source you know, when it's ChatGPT, it, I, we heard an employee of, of OpenAI say that they were developing the capacity to ask the, the AI to turn its sort of eyes back on itself and say, well, this is where that information came from. But I don't think that is very well developed yet. You've used Bing a bit. Does Bing, no. with its sources, to give you good citations as far as where that information came from? That that's a great uh great question, Wes. Yes, and in fact, um, and and I would say I'm probably accessing the Bing bot um I ten twelve times a week. I'm I'm using ChatGPT. I would say I probably use it ten fifteen times a day. Google Bard once or twice a day. Um, maybe four to five times a week for Bing. Um, it does provide sources, but. As an example of that, um, when I was uh, actually coming up with some slides and some exemplars uh, for um, a session I did at NCC a couple of weeks ago, one of the things it cited um, was uh, it was three legitimate sources, although they were, I mean, I would say they they were they were factually correct, but I wouldn't call them authoritative sources, if that makes any sense, right? Like I, I didn't, the information wasn't incorrect, but it, it didn't cite who I would consider to be experts in this space, right? But then one of the other ones, um, I clicked on the link and it happened to be in kind of an ebook scam site, like, like downloading a PDF or a, a, um, an EPUB of a book. 
And it might have, you know, at one point had a book that it thought was an authoritative source you could download it, but it wasn't a very good quality source. And so, yeah, I mean, again, I, you know, I Bing's Bing's being really smart about this. Um, I, or I should say credit to Microsoft for being very smart about this. I think it's really compelling to connect this to your search engine, right? Like that's a oh, really yeah. idea, but uh, it's, you know, uh, in the same way, I think we have to be really thoughtful that, you know, not unlike, you know, that there's an, a, an logarithm and, 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 a, and a complicated formula that says what's on the first couple of pages, you know, those same things need to go into picking the, 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 the sources it's citing, um, you know, when you're asking it, you know, detailed questions. A couple of thoughts. Number one, it'll be interesting when Tim Cook weighs in on some of this. I don't think I've heard anything about Apple, Tim Cook talking about this. So that's going to be interesting. But Jason, here's the real litmus test. Have you caught yourself saying to a colleague, instead of I'm going to Google that, I'm going to Bing that? Has that uh, happened? No, that's not. That <laughs> not yet. So sorry, Bing, for, for that. Um, I also think that's a silly name for a search engine. But who am I? To <laughs> okay, well, we have actually gone exactly an hour so far. That's not to say we can't uh, continue for a little bit more before we geek of the week it. Um, we do have over 20 links and we've covered probably about six or seven of them. Sure. I can go about six more minutes, I think. Um, sure. Um, one of the things that, um, I would suggest, uh, that is a good place to start. I think if you're trying to sell this to colleagues that, that something big has happened, um, uh, Bill Gates a couple weeks back, um, has, has kind of declared that the age of AI has begun. And, um, this is from Gates Notes. That's, uh, Bill Gates's blog, um, uh, on, on March 21st. And he mentioned something that, um, that I'm not sure if we've talked about this or, or not, but, uh, he mentions the, the differences in test scores between ChatGPT 3.5 and ChatGPT 4. ChatGPT 4 has passed all AP tests, um, with a 4 or a 5, with the exception of AP language and AP literature. And the reason why I think that's hilarious is because, of course, um, um, uh, uh, you know, their, their language models, right? And I would, and, and they can write. And I would assume that that's something that, um, should advantage it with the AP, um, uh, English, uh, tests, uh, the two different AP, uh, tests. Um, a shout out to AP literature, uh, and composition and AP language composition teachers for obviously being super awesome to get your kids to pass that test when the, the, the AI language bot couldn't. But, you know, the, um, it's not a fad, and I know I need. To, I, I feel like I'm, I'm a broken record here, and I, I know my staff is getting tired of me talking about it because it's it is a huge topic. That, um, uh, in fact, a couple members of my staff I just don't talk about it around them anymore because I can see the eye rolls are coming uh, from them. But, um, but uh, uh, it, it is it, it, it's it's happening now, and we just can't we can't ignore this because that will be very much to our peril. So I'll add to that uh, an article actually from the Seattle Times. So this is up in your neck of the woods. Um, and this is an, uh, an op-ed that was written by an educator who is the co-founder. I'm trying to gain myself time. There's so many articles to go through. Um, he's the co-founder of uh, the um, Center for the Informed Public um, at the University of Washington. And maybe I put this under media literacy. Um, the article is 
Uh, maybe I should find the article before I start to talk about it. There it is. It's the third one. The chatbot era, better or worse off? It's the third one uh, under the, the headline AI. Um, so this was in the Seattle Times on March 31st. And basically it seems to be saying, you know, there's a lot of problems with this. Um, it, it, it's it's going to be it's going to be difficult. Uh, it, it references the, you know, Kevin Rue's uh, New York Times, uh, you know, issues and stories. But it's to me the the sense of this is rather dismissive. Uh, the, and and Pachai talked about this too. There's a number of folks that will talk about these uh, learning models as simply uh, a glorified fill in the blank, and they'll be rather dismissive and, and say that it's not a game changer. Um, I have participated in a, a conversation with a number of educators talking about these tools as well. And the general sentiment of most of them was dismissive. I tried this and it didn't work. It wasn't that good. I mean, I think we need time to process this. This is one of the benefits of getting together with you, Jason, just about every week to, to talk through these things. Um, but I, I would be curious as you're visiting with different educational groups, and maybe you can even have some kind of informal survey or formal quick survey to kind of sort of pretest where are people's sentiments uh, and, and feelings about this, you know, kind of going into it. But I think there, you know, there's always a lot of, uh, um, you know, doubt when it comes to anybody who's saying that, that this is a, a big game, a big game changer. But I just think fundamentally, this is just this is challenging so many things about assessment and the ways that we have um, used the essay, for instance, to uh, you know independent essays that you write on your own time when you go back to your your house or your your dorm room or apartment or whatever. Um, I think that they're challenging things at a really basic level, and so I I would number one. I mentioned this in in, a, in this group that I uh, and maybe you can do this within CECE, Jason. Here's a great geo map. Go ahead and do all the districts in Montana, Washington, and Oregon. Uh, who is blocking ChatGPT? How many public school districts are just flat out blocking it? That'd be a great thing to, to be able to have some visibility to. Um, and then around the, I, you know, just talking with teachers and, and getting a sense, you know, where are they on a scale, you know, positive or negative? I mean, I, I think I'm kind of smack in the middle. It, I think is the most powerful. If Pachai is right, this is the most powerful technology hum, humans have ever encountered. It's going to be used um, in the most powerful ways that it, it possibly could. So it's going to it's going to it's going to be used in phenomenally powerful, wonderful, great, totally history changing ways. And then it's going to be used in incredibly devastating ways as well. Yep, absolutely. All right. Shall we keep well, it? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I'll, mine's related, so I'll just go quickly here. Um, I'm really delighted that next week I will be joining um, a couple of, of colleagues in, in virtual learning um, for a webinar with the Digital Learning Collaborative, and it's called AI and Chatbots and Online and Blended Learning. And um, uh, uh, I'm really excited to join um, uh, uh uh, colleagues from Minnesota and Michigan um, that have been uh, kind of at the forefront of discussing this in their regions and nationally to talk about it. Uh, it'll be facilitated by Allison Powell at the Digital Learning Collaborative, and I'm really excited to have an opportunity to 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 speak about this um, in this arena. So you can sign up free for everyone. Uh, there there's a link 
um, uh, from the DLC um, on Twitter that we'll share in our show notes and is also uh, I tweeted out tonight. Um, but yeah, join join me and and other awesome people to talk about um, uh, uh, this very topic. Awesome. I've written a few blog posts in the last couple of days, um, and one of them was Monday night after I participated in a Teachers for an Informed Public uh, webinar, um, and I just called it Media Literacy Lessons April 2023. So I recorded an 11-minute video screencast talking about the recent lessons I've been teaching my middle schoolers um, and then just shared that online. One of the resources that I learned about at that event was uh, some new lessons from Misinformation Day. And so here's the link to that Google Doc. One of them um, is a lesson about TikTok and viral misinformation. And it occurs to me that there are probably very, very few schools that are actually talking about TikTok and helping students navigate TikTok. And as the number one information source for news for Gen Z, how can we not talk about TikTok? Like that's sort of like saying, you know, we're living in a literate world and we're not talking about books. So um, last one, I used this today. This was fun. We had a Minecraft uh, build challenge and kids uh, worked in teams and built Rubik's Cubes. And I wanted to make animated GIFs to embed the animated GIF of a fly around of each uh, student's or uh, team's build. And then I, so I used this free Adobe Express web page where you can convert a movie file to an animated GIF. And it was lovely and it was free and it was small and it was fun. So that's it for Geeks of the Week. Awesome. Well, Wes, where can people find you on the interwebs? I am W Fryer on Twitter. Uh, you can go to westfryer.com slash after and find a lot more links. How about you? Um, I am on Twitter at Tech Savvy Teach, and you can also find me on Mastodon.cloud, and my username there is Knife. But this here is the EdTech Situation Room. We are a once-a-week podcast on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, and sometime in the middle of the night, if you happen to be joining us uh, from Western Europe. If you can't uh, join us live, although we wish you would, we're on YouTube and Facebook uh, broadcasting every week. You can find our, our, our podcast on those platforms afterwards or wherever finer podcasts are aggregated. Uh, you can certainly also go to our website, edtechsr.com, get the show links, get a tiny MP3, and even look at the stuff we didn't have a chance to talk about um, as we never get to all the links that we'd like to share with you each week. So we hope you have a great week. Stay safe, stay savvy. We hope to see you next time on the EdTech Situation Room. Good night. Bye-bye, everybody.